Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Welcome to the uh, SBS Cycling Podcast. I'm Christophe Mallet. I'm joined by Dave McKenzie. How are you, Dave? I'm very good, although I rode my bike in today in classic Melbourne. I got four seasons from Brunswick to the CBD. It's <laughs> about six kilometres. It rained. The sun came out. I think at one point there was a bit of sleet. There was a howling headwind. <laughs> But I made it. Did you know, like I said this before, but we say this in France for Britain, but it's he, he, valid here. We say it's uh, in England when it's not raining, it's not good because that means it's going to rain. It's a bit, it's a bit logical here as well. <laughs> it's true. Look, our guest today, Micah, three times time trial national world champion, won the Tour d'Alander, Green Jersey, the Tour d'Alander, won the Bretagne Ladies Classic, won the Grand Prix de Plumenec, won the Classic Bruges de Pan, won Branche Pilch, second Aliège-Bastogne-Liège, top 10 at Flanders and Amstel God Race, and of course, second at the World Championship Time Trial, twice. Grace Brown, how are you? Quite a pedigree. <laughs> exactly. That is, and you've left a few out. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the major one. And I'm very happy to be in the studio with you guys. Always good to have a chat with the SBS crew. <laughs> so we uh, we saw you at the Tour de France, of course. We saw you all across the, the season last year. How are you? How are you feeling? And, and how good is it for you to resource back in Australia? Yeah, it always feels at this stage of the year I've already been away from cycling for more than a month now so um, the season almost seems like a distant past and uh, now beginning to uh, work on next year so um, yeah it's always a sort of strange mm. interchange of the year um, coming back to Australia and being a little bit separate from it all but uh, still keeping tabs. You um, you made it, you made at least one trip home during the season because you're partner, husband, Elliot, you both balance your work lives and he can't be in Europe for the whole year with you. So it's it's pretty tough, isn't it? It's just give us an insight because I'm sure you're not alone. There's many women and guys, I suppose, who, you know, you've got to balance that partnership with your loved one. And so how, how much time do you spend away from each other? Yeah, it's not um, a typical marriage, that's for sure. But um yeah, my husband, he has his own business in Melbourne. Um, so although he's got a bit of autonomy there, he doesn't have the flexibility to just, you know, up and leave for really long periods of time. So, um, yeah, we have a bit of an arrangement where I'm over in Europe, basically from February until September, October, and um, try and come back mid-year. And then he makes a few trips over. But yeah, it is tough. Like, um, I think a lot of Australian athletes fully, you know, move their lives over to Europe. Um, and for me, sort of keeping a foot in both worlds, um, never fully settled in Europe. And when I'm back home, it feels like I need to get as much done before I have to leave again. Um, it's this, yeah, I'm always trying to make the most of every moment um, back home in Australia because it doesn't last forever. Is it harder now you are in a French team or is it the same? Because you were in an Australian team, although based also in Europe, but in terms of the license itself, does that make it even harder? Uh, I don't think so. In some ways, it's probably easier because um, on the Australian team, everyone's Australian and it's a bit hard to be like, okay, well, you can go back to Australia mid-season mid because next thing you know, every, every one on the team is like leaving to come back to Australia and they have no riders left. Um, whereas, yeah, now I'm the only Australian on FTJ so I can get a bit of special treatment and everyone 
feels bad for me. So, <laughs> um, yeah. It's quite rare to hear the French making it easy, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, but uh, I think the French really value um, family life. So, that yeah, that's sort of a value that um, is important in the team and they're happy to support me. And when Elliot comes over, um, yeah, he can come and be with the team in some cases if it's, yeah, you know, not really serious time, but he, he can um, slot in, which well, is nice. Well, you see, yeah, I was just going to say, and you see it in the men's as well, and I, and I guess, you know, we're only seeing the Tour de France. You know, that's the one race that we're on the ground fully. And 20 years ago, this wouldn't have happened. But you see partners are hanging out at the race. You know, they're not obviously necessarily on the team buses or whatever. And it's quite normal and it's accepted, isn't it? Whereas 20 years ago, that was a complete no-no, I can tell you from my experience. <laughs> so it's not, and it's a nice thing. Like I see it and I think, oh, isn't that great? You know, and you see... Well, partner, kids, pets. Yeah, exactly. You see partner, kids, kids pets around outside the bus and yeah. I mean, Ro- um, Roglic's son has been on more podium than you, mate. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but yes. <laughs> not just me, I reckon most other athletes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's a nice thing, I guess, isn't it? And I suppose you're mingling, you, you meet other partners of, of teammates as well. Yeah, I think um, it, it's definitely an improvement. And like on the women's side, it was definitely something that wasn't done not so long ago. Um, so it was a no-no. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then I think, yeah, the men's side started transitioning into that a little bit earlier. Like, you know, the thing that partners come in on rest days and grand tours mm. and um, that sort of thing. Like we don't really have rest days, so there's not that... Um, that doesn't happen for us, but yeah, I think partners and families are sort of facilitated a little bit more just because there's become more of an appreciation of the human level of athletes yeah. that you need to, you know, cater for us in all aspects of mm. life if we're expected to perform at the very top level. So now we are the 25th of October. So we are recording, first of all, uh, just before the announcement of the route of the Tour de France. So whatever we will say will be probably utter rubbish about and the route. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. in about 10 minutes. But, uh, and also pure speculation. But that's what we do L- best. We do, that's what we do best, Mark. Yeah, let's speculate. <laughs> uh, but let's look back at the year for you. Uh, how would you write your, your season? Yeah. Because um, we looked at the, some data. Yeah. Still well, impressive. Let's not say anything. I want you to give a self-assessment. Yeah. On on paper, it sort of adds up to being my best season, but my overall feeling uh, is that I didn't get as much out of myself as in previous years and I wasn't as consistent across races. I think my time trialling helped me out this year, but in the road racing, which is like the really exciting races to do well in, I didn't perform um, the same as some of my previous seasons. So, yeah, like it's a little bit mixed feelings about this year. How, how does that sit with you upstairs? Um, I I want to go back next year and do better, especially in the classics. Um, of course, the yeah, the time trial is still... And a big goal because we have the Olympics next year and it's a really good opportunity for me there. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, the thrill of racing those really hard finals and getting in the, yeah, the messy end of um, of a race, that's what we do it for. Yeah, so... Because you looked at the data, Michael. Well, <laughs> I, I agree with your assessment. 
And the reason I suppose I agree, and when we well, shit, I'm done him off. Well, no, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to tread really carefully here. But the reason is because you've had these amazing couple of years, like you say, in the classics and everything. And so now, you know, I and you, and I'm sure the fans, we expect the likes of yourself to be up there challenging every single year, top five, top three at Flanders. But you actually had eight victories. I counted your victories. If you count the stage wins and then, of course, the overall tours you won, eight wins in anyone's season is pretty damn good. And you're right, your time trialling helped you out, but they're still victories. So, yeah, it must be, I like it that you say you want to go back and, um, uh, you know, perform well at, at races like Flanders and Liège because I think it was, what was it, the first or second COVID year? Well, both of those years, I think you had amazing results. Yep. And do you do you look back at that and look at your training data and think, okay, what did I do differently? What was, and try and, or do you say, well, I can't, I can't replicate it. I've just got to go in and try and be, you know, in yeah. that form at the time. I have tried to sort of look to see, you know, what did I do differently in my training back then? But I think the biggest thing was I was in like this flow where just every race, I was just, just, just I was happened. just up there. Yeah. Um, and even when I yeah started a race, being like, oh, not not feeling that great today. Like, probably not going to do well. And then I'd end up top five. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I'm doing. You're the like, sort of people we I really hate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's like it's not happening now. It was just the that um period where I just kept surprising myself and at the start it's like okay I've you know maybe fluked a few results here but then the, but well, then you, the, you almost <laughs> fluked the Liège victory yeah. <laughs> and Flanders and Flanders yeah jeez oh, yeah so okay I've got a follow-up question which I'm really interested in and you know from what we saw and I think it might have been yourself Christoph or maybe Gracie Alvin who we, we're asking the question, and I might have asked you during the, the, the women's TDF this year about the level, the standard of yep. racing. Like, it, to me, on the outside, it, from 12 months prior to this year's race, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, it's the level's gone up. And I think it was Rach Nalen answered your question, or Grace, yeah. said, we said, is it year on year, the difference? And she said, actually, no, it's month to month at the moment the way women's cycling is just exploding and you know that 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 stage win by the young german woman into albi i thought yeah. was one of the most impressive ones i saw throughout that eight stages so what's your take on it we talk about how you good you were two seasons ago in the classics and everything and, and just to add to this there, yeah. there were a lot of comments at the tour from riders that were saying I'm in the best shape of my life yes. yeah. and I am nowhere near the top. Yeah. I'm struggling. Yes. Was that that feeling yeah. as well? Oh, yeah. I Like, I thought that I'd prepared, I mean, both years. Uh, last year, I thought that I'd prepared really well and that I was, you know, confident that I could get a result at the tour. And, yeah, it was eye-opening, the level. And then this year, I was like, okay, I've learned my lesson. Like, it's really hard. But still, maybe, you know, I... I've prepared hard again. I think I'm in good shape. And I was even further off the mark. Um, and so are we, are we moving? Yeah. Is the women's sport side of cycling sort of chasing and catching up rapidly to what has happened in the men's in the lay? Let's call it the last five, six years. Pogacar burst onto the scene. And let's say from nowhere, 
He was he was yeah. a good junior. Let's so not, not forget Bernal as well. There was always Bernal yeah. before. We but always forget Bernal. That's there was true. Bernal before. So Bernal, he probably started it, I suppose. And then mm. Pogacar, I remember commentating the Vuelta, and we're like, this kid's good. Wins three stages, podiums at the age of 20. And now we're seeing this in the women's as well. So are we on the cusp of something, you know, which is going to make it harder for yourself? <laughs> But are we on the cusp of something really special in, in the women's sport? Yeah, potentially. Like the young riders are um, definitely performing better than they ever had. Mm. Um, we're not yet, uh, we don't have like those young superstars yet. Like most of the top riders are still the same top riders that have been around for the past five or more years. But I think... Yeah, like we we saw some stage wins from really young riders. Bauernfeind was the yeah. the young German. Yeah, yeah, and also um, the other German uh, young German that won a stage in the Giro, um, Antonia Nudemata. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like so talented, and yeah, the, I don't think they know their own potential yet. <laughs> That's scary. Um, so, like, next year, I think, is going to be another step up yeah, from right. that perspective. It's good. It's exciting for us. Yeah, absolutely. For the for everything, <laughs> ratings, and just, just to, to watch the uh, the race itself. Yeah. Uh, quick question on, uh, and I, I'm flying the flag here, be careful, uh, mm -hmm. but how different now the, the, the calendar is having the Tour de France inside that calendar? Because we had some sort of grand tours before. Uh, you had the Italian Tour, you had the Girodona, there was uh, the Serratizit uh, Challenge in Spain. Uh, but now you've got the Tour de France. Yeah. How does that change the game? Uh, and again, I'm flying the flag. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's no doubt that it trumps everything else. Like it, it, As soon as it was on the calendar, it was the most important event of the year. Yeah, simply because it's the event that the whole world tunes into. So it's important for you know sponsors it's important for riders like just the the attention that it has and then because of that everyone you know plans their season around it and it becomes the hardest race of the year as well so okay so next year and i know these questions are always hypotheticals what's more important paris tt or for the Olympics. For the Olympics or a stage win at the Tour de France. And in doing so, well, if if and when it will happen, the first Australian female to win a stage of the Tour, Chloe Hosking's won La Course, obviously. Um, yeah. But to me, that's separate. It's a, it's its own event. This is now the Tour de France. So what's more important for you? Because you're a big you're a big shoe-in for Paris. You yeah. Know, you, you're, you're one of the favourites on paper. So I think... Um... Yeah, probably like rationality is coming into it, and, and don't be <laughs> rational. <laughs> you're too young. You're too young to be rational. <laughs> I'm sorry. Be more French. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just go with the flow. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like um, going for the time trial at Paris Olympics is definitely um, something that I can target better because you can control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, can't, can't I just say both? Uh <laughs> well, we'd love to see both. And see, I, I guess, you know, I, I do, I'm super excited, as you are, Christoph, about where our, you know, women's cycling is going and have been for a few years. And I just think it's going to be this 
next little mini explosion in Australia for young girls mm. when we get that first but, Aussie woman that wins a stage. But I think also, uh, yeah, surely winning a gold medal in cycling in the Olympics is... Oh, you're right. In terms, if we're talking about Australia, yeah, like Australia tunes into the Olympics and knows Olympic gold medalists far more than they would, you know, someone that's won a stage of the tour. Yeah, that's even, true. Even it's, though the gap's closing, in though, cycling, yeah. winning a stage of the tour is considered bigger. Yeah. So... Yeah, only one. No, on that's a really, it's an interesting. But only one of these events is on SBS, my castle. That's right. So <laughs> the only one that can. No, there's only we care about it, bit, but yeah, it's a bit of a yeah. It's sort of you know, it's, a, yeah. it's community, point, community game. Good, good, yeah. Good no, I guess it depends where you want to have influence. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I do both. You, you want to talk about the, the business uh, side of, yes. of the of the world of cycling yeah. and what it's like. I think inside. this is an interesting topic, and for all of our listeners and and those who are you know, invested in the sport as well. It's it's interesting. I thought it'd be a good three-way chat. So I'm not sure if either of you heard, in the last seven days, Wiggle, the online, you know, one of the biggest online cycling stores in the world, they have been for a number of years now, English company. Apparently, don't quote me on this, but I have read this, they had a £79 million loss in September. Now, whether or not that was just for the month or that was the year two, it sounded like September. Firstly, how do you lose that much money? And I'm not saying they're, they're, it's bad business, but it's made me wonder, and we know, I know that the retail side of cycling, I think it's fair to say it's on its knees a little bit in Australia, and I suppose that's ricocheting around the world a bit with that mm. post-COVID um, sort of era. But also, Grace, and this is, I guess, where I'd like to bring you into it, no sun tour in 2024. No bakeries. We know they've, they, that's it. They're done. The NRS, which is, that's where you sort of really carved out the beginning of your career. Where's that at? I, I think it's, I don't think I'm being too harsh in saying it's on life support. Uh, TDU is looking good for 2024. Yeah. Um, where are we at? Where Where is the business of cycling at? Sure, we talk about the Women's Tour de France is booming and it's, you know, the most coverage and everything else but we need the ground up don't we we need that pyramid base to be to be really strong for for it to thrive and for young women coming through in australia who need a platform before they go to europe yeah i definitely think if we're talking about racing in australia the market for it is suffering um i i don't know if like i've heard that you know the cost of running races is just ridiculous and keeps increasing every year due to safety, um, police in certain states, like what you have to pay to actually logistically host a race. Um, And then, yeah, a lot of Australian sponsors just aren't interested in cycling. Obviously, in different markets, like there is more interest, like, um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of money come into cycling from the Middle Eastern countries. Um, and that's particularly in the men's side is sort of increasing the competition for salaries and... Um, well, let's talk of having a salary cap in the mm-hmm. men's teams. Yeah. I used to think that was ridiculous, but now I almost tend to agree because yeah. you've got two or three teams that are on these extreme budgets and Ineos isn't Middle East, but it's, you know, they're, they're massive budget. And then you've got, say, let's talk Jayco. 
I know they let's say the men's is 20 million euros. Which ironically have got Middle East sponsor, by the way. What? They, yeah. Ironically. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So how do we all sit, how, you know, how do we all sit with that? Yeah. How do you sit with it? Well, yeah, it'll, it becomes a, a political, and, like social issue. And well. a moral, yeah. that's right, a moral. I don't, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if I'm for the salary cap to be honest, and not just to be the devil's advocate here, uh, but the, the sport is still uh, rebounding and it's competing with many many other sports. Uh, there's other things to do, I think, before yeah. shutting down the sort of sort of elite budgetary. Well, we but, can't afford to at the moment mm. either, can we? And we can't afford to pick and choose. I think. Could, the other thing you could do is have like a draft system, you know, like the AFL uh, yeah. here where um, you, yeah, you can only pick, you know, certain high yep. players or whatever yep. from from a ranking so that teams like are a little that. bit more even. Yeah. But I don't know how you'd sort of like clean the slate and go back to that. How, yeah, that it'd have to it'd have to be a transition of. Well, there's writers signing for five years. There's yeah. not a lot that sign for five years, but there are some. So you'd have to transition. I like that idea, but you'd have to do it over a five-year period. So then everyone's contracts and across the world run out. Yeah, and across the world, across, across, across the world. It's yeah, it's fascinating. I there's part of me that worries for our sport, and then there's other sides of it that. I think no, we, we will be fine. The sport will be fine. But, you know, in a way, if, if I'm also the devil's advocate, when you look at the men's cycling, when you go the impact that Amory Sport ASO has on the fact, yes, they're running the Tour de France at a very profitable event, but they are spending everything else on lots of different races all across the year, which basically are on life support because of the Tour de France. Yeah, they don't you need to see money. this in a woman's cycling, I guess, mm. as well. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully this is the impact that this will have. Yeah, and I think there is still a lot of money in cycling. Like the the number of recreational cyclists is still increasing, but yeah, whether like Wiggle is a certain, it's not that sort of glamorous brand that a lot of people are going after. People are buying more from those independent labels and stuff mm. these days rather than the mass brands on Wiggle. So maybe that contributes to it. I don't know. Custom bikes are making yeah. a return, it's aren't they? Yeah. Like the whole fashionable side of cycling. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, you, how, could, you, how would you know? You wouldn't even know what a pair of bib shorts would cost, would you? <laughs> $400 for a pair of bib shorts what? these days. I do not buy them for that reason. But it's, it's expensive. If you want yeah. to buy the top, the top notch mm-hmm. um, gear, it's... Um, You'll find out one day. Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> not. Yeah, not. hang on for as long as you can. No. I'll just uh, stock all my gear yeah. now and hope that I don't put on any weight. <laughs> oh, you stop cycling. Yes. <laughs> no, the last couple of years, just get, you know, and I'm not saying you will, just get a couple of sizes up. Uh, yeah. He knows, he knows. <laughs> Look who's been there. Uh, let's go back and uh, let's pure speculation, very quick words on the, the Tour de France coming up next year. A massive rumour. When we record this Tour de France, we might be proven wrong or right uh, as, as the, the week evolves. But Alpe d'Huez, this is, looks like very likely to be the finish as well of mm. the Tour de France. How does that sit with you? Because now, third year, there will be iconic clams and it looks like they're ticking the list. But what a list, though. Yeah. No, I think it would be cool to, to finish up there. We had Tourmalet this year, which was an epic climb. Um, and I like having it, you know, at the end of the race um, because 
such a climb like that can really divide the GC a lot. So it's nice having GC really tight battle until then. You're not quite sure how it's going to play out. Um, and, and yeah, just doing the most famous climbs in France, I think, is important for the women. And so on, on, on the back of this as well, the fact that this year the Tour de France or 2024 Tour de France will be detached, detached from the mm-hmm. from the men's Tour de France to be the Olympics before, how does that change your schedule, first of all, your, your race calendar, but for the event itself? What, what do you think the potential impact is here for the public, for, for the race itself? You know, instead of being a four-week tour, then we've got three plus Olympics plus a Tour de France. Um, yeah, it doesn't, uh, I mean, you, you just work with the schedule that you get um, in terms of your training. So it's not like I follow a particular pattern every year and it's thrown me cl- completely out, um, that sort of change. But I think... It is a bit disappointing to separate it from the men's tour because it was this really nice sort of, you know, handover. Everyone's engaged with the men's tour and then they just continue watching and watch the men, uh, the women's just, you know, because they love it. Whereas I think people might forget a little bit that the women's is coming after the Olympics. Um but the fact that they didn't really have the choice because no, the Olympics they, were there, it's probably didn't. better they do this than putting it a week before the Tour de France. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm 50-50. I see what your, mm. your point is, but I'm, I'm actually... Like I think our, can... our ratings, SBS's ratings, were up, I, th- I can say this. Mm. It's public knowledge. I think uh, I'll triple check this. But <laughs> <laughs> women's TDF, they were up around 10%. Yeah from last year. Yeah. So for me, the trajectory is looking good and strong. And yep. I think that the support will be there. You know, it'll everyone will come off the hype of the men's. Then, of course, the, the two weeks of the Olympics, which is just a crazy sort of sporting two-week festival, isn't it? And then the dust will settle, but it's still summer. As you know, it's that summer holiday feel well, in Europe. I think the women's tour starts the day after the closing ceremony of the Olympics. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> there's not much time for dust to settle. <laughs> well, that's right. The dust will literally be on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think there's this clear space yeah. for the women's TDF to actually own that space. And, yeah. And in a way, we should trust ASO again yes. to, to actually do it well. I'm not, I'm not going for a job at ASO, by the way, because I'm yeah. actually doing well, a lot no, of good no, things. That. Should ASO take over cycling? We've been here before. Years ago, probably. Should take over the Olympics? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Should they actually take over the running mm. global cycling? As in... As in ditch the UCI. Uh, as in buying out the UCI. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, almost controversial for you. <laughs> a number of years ago, yeah. Let's face it, they run the... They, they, man, they, they manage the sport better than anyone, I would say. Yeah, tell that the guys at the Giro. Yeah? Do you think they'd yeah. be happy with that? RCS? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Damn, you're just trying to span it. That's my job, my friend. That's my job. I guess then it, it will be would become more of a franchise type operation, wouldn't it? Well, I want them to take over. Oh, hang on, did I just say that? <laughs> they take over, but then the writers get TV rights. That's much bigger. I know. I know I'm, I'm thinking in a utopian world. Yeah. But, you know. What can yeah. we uh, uh, moving uh, moving at all? Yeah, burning <laughs> uh, what can we wish you for twenty twenty four? What's uh, what's the like if you if you dream uh, anything you can dream of twenty twenty four? 
Yeah, I think um, uh, I think other than like those r- big results, um, mainly just you know being the racer that I like to be, like really getting in and being aggressive. Like I haven't had um, I haven't had the opportunity to race like super aggressively in a long time. Whether it's because the level of the peloton is so high or just you know other factors, maybe. I'm not up to it, um, but yeah, I want to. I want to get back to that style of racing because that's when I really love it. Okay, and and another question as well. Uh, in the men's peloton, there's a, a heaps of movement, but heaps of retirement as well. On the women's peloton, there's Anamik van Vruten, for example, retiring. Uh, what would be the impact of of her not being in a peloton because she's been so. Uh, prolific, so aggressive, so so anamic. Yeah, uh, not going to be anamic next year. Yeah, no, I think um, even more so. It's going to be the SD Works show yeah. <laughs> next year. Hopefully, we can find one some way to combat that. But um, I think, yeah, although you know, some people loved anamic dominating, other people hate. People hated it. It was definitely you know an era of the women's cycling and. Yeah, no doubt she was entertaining. Um, so it'll be a very different um, space without her, but there'll be some new stories that'll come through. And I think she's left a mark on um, on the peloton. I think she's brought everyone's level up, so we're all better because of her. And forever we know the first Tour de France, yeah. a new edition, yes. Avec Zwift, yeah. Tour de France Femme Avec Zwift. Is that it, Maka? I think so. I think we're crossing everything. I think, I think we've. I'm looking at my list. We've ticked everything off. Yeah, cool. We didn't solve all the world's problems. No, that's uh, <laughs> hopefully you know. You try. <laughs> we try. We've got until Christmas. We've got until Christmas, so that's fine. Thank you, Grace, for coming into this podcast. Yeah, thanks, Christoph. Thanks, Maka. Pleasure.